The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines, the commercial airline the U.S. military trusts to perform maintenance on its aircraft. Learn more at deltatakingaction.com. Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, November 15th. In today's news, Michael Avenatti is arrested in L.A. on suspicion of domestic violence. Betsy DeVos moves to replace Obama-era rules to protect sexual assault victims on college campuses. And President Trump endorses a bipartisan deal to relax prison sentencing laws. But first, the big idea. A White House aide picked a fight with Melania Trump, and now she's out of a job. Deputy National Security Advisor Mira Ricardell left the White House yesterday after a very public spat with the First Lady that began with her trip to Africa last month. As the East Wing prepared the flight manifest for that trip, Ricardell became angry that seats on the First Lady's government jet were assigned to a larger-than-usual security entourage and a small press corps. There was no seat for Ricardell or another NSC staffer. Policy experts from the NSC and the State Department were advised to fly separately and meet the First Lady's party on the ground, a practice the State Department has often used. But Ricardell objected strenuously and didn't want to fly commercial. She threatened to revoke NSC resources associated with the trip, meaning no policy staffers would advise the First Lady at all during her visits to Ghana, Kenya, Egypt, and Malawi. Bad blood between Ricardell and Melania and her staff continued for weeks after the trip, with the First Lady privately arguing that the NSC's number two was a corrosive influence in the White House and should be dismissed. But National Security Advisor John Bolton rebuffed the First Lady and protected his deputy prompting her spokeswoman, Stephanie Grisham, to issue an extraordinary statement to reporters on Tuesday, effectively calling for Ricardell's firing. Soon after the First Lady's office issued that statement, surprised senior White House aides walked over to Ricardell's office to see whether she still was there. She was, albeit quite confused. Bolton, who was traveling in Asia, was awakened in the middle of the night and told of the dust-up. He got on the phone with Ricardell and told her to remain at her post. Amazingly, several people tell my colleagues Ann Guerin, Josh Dossie, and Emily Heil that Mrs. Trump and Rick Cardell have never met because Rick Cardell ended up not going on that Africa trip. Now, this isn't the only chaos and turmoil continuing to royal the administration. Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker's scattershot resume makes him just the latest unusual appointee by Trump for a key post. Over the past two decades, Whitaker has owned a daycare center, a concrete supply business, and a trailer manufacturer. He led a taxpayer-subsidized effort to build affordable housing in Des Moines, but he walked away from the stalled project two years ago after the city threatened him with a lawsuit. In 2004, when he started a five-year stint as U.S. attorney in the Southern District of Iowa, Whitaker cited a personal injury case and a dispute involving a dry-cleaning business as his most consequential legal work. Now he's the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. When he left that U.S. attorney job, he started a modest legal practice in a short-lived lobbying and consulting firm that he quickly shuddered when he couldn't get business. Whitaker's just 49, and he is quite a contrast to his predecessors of both parties. Typically, the resume of the attorney general boasts judgeships, partnerships at prestigious white shoe law firms, and senior previous roles in the Justice Department. And another news story reveals that Whitaker received early warnings about fraud complaints against an invention marketing company that he advised. Yet he continued to defend the company and remained on its board even after he became aware of the alleged fraud. Since his appointment, Whitaker has said through a Justice Department spokeswoman that he was unaware of these allegedly fraudulent activities at the Miami-based world patent marketing firm. 
As a member of the company's advisory board, though, Whitaker had been told of complaints about the company's practices, according to two people familiar with the FTC investigation that concluded world patent marketing was a scam. But Whitaker did not appear to take any action in response, according to my colleagues Tom Hamburger, Carl Lennig, and Roz Helderman. In addition, shortly after joining the board in late 2014, Whitaker personally intervened when a consumer complaint website posted comments critical of the company. Whether he has the qualifications to be attorney general or not, a lot of observers are worried that Whitaker is moving to muzzle Bob Mueller and rein in the special counsel's investigation. He could reject indictments that Mueller wants to issue. He could cut his budget. He could take away agents and lawyers helping out. Walter Schaub, the former director of the Office of Government Ethics, writes a new op-ed today that calls the firing of Jeff Sessions and Whitaker's appointment to replace him, quote, a piecemeal Saturday night massacre. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, Michael Avenatti, was arrested last night on suspicion of domestic violence. He calls the allegations completely bogus. The Los Angeles Police Department said he was booked on a felony domestic violence charge with $50,000 bail. The incident allegedly happened on Tuesday. TMZ, which first reported the arrest, had written that Avenatti was arrested after his estranged wife filed a felony domestic violence report. But TMZ later amended its story after his ex-wife, Lisa Story Avenatti, said through a lawyer that that assertion was not true. We're still trying to get to the bottom of what happened. And Avenatti, of course, has recently said that he wants to run for president as a Democrat. Number two, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos will soon release a rewrite of rules outlining how colleges and universities must respond to sexual assault allegations, with an emphasis on bolstering the rights of the accused. The proposal is set for release before Thanksgiving, possibly this week, and will replace guidance issued by the Obama administration in 2011. DeVos has said that men accused of sexual assault need more due process. Her new rules would reduce liability for universities, tighten the definition of sexual harassment to make it much harder to prove, and allow schools to use a higher standard in evaluating claims of both harassment and assault. The most significant change would guarantee the accused the right to cross-examine their accusers, which the Obama guidelines strongly discouraged. DeVos's defenders say Trump's guidance dictates the questioning would have to be conducted by advisors or attorneys for the parties rather than by the person accused of misconduct. That way, they say, victims won't be confronted directly by their assailants. Number three, Trump announced support for a bipartisan Senate bill to overhaul the nation's prison sentencing laws. At an afternoon event at the White House, Trump officially endorsed what's known as the First Step Act, which he said includes, quote, reasonable sentencing reforms while keeping dangerous and violent criminals off our streets. He urged lawmakers to send him a bill, saying, I'll be waiting with a pen. The new Senate package includes language that would lower mandatory minimum sentences for drug felonies, including reducing the three strikes penalty from life behind bars to 25 years. That provision would not be allowed to take place retroactively, which was a major concession from Democrats who want to get this done. It also would include Senate language that retroactively applies the Fair Sentencing Act of 2010, which reduced the disparity in sentencing guidelines between crack and powder cocaine offenses, largely because whites and African-Americans are convicted at different rates of those crimes. And it would reduce mandatory minimum sentences that go into effect when a firearm is used during a violent crime or drug offense. There are a lot of people who are serving very long mandatory minimum sentences because they had a gun when they were caught dealing drugs. It's unclear whether there are 60 votes to get this through the Senate. Conservatives like Tom Cotton from Arkansas have been resisting. 
But advocates are optimistic that with Trump's endorsement giving cover, Republicans will be able to get to yes. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, November 15th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.